When it comes to maximizing time in the uplands, without fail, Onyx Hunt is my most valuable tool. From planning my next hunt through a new bird cover to navigating in the field, Onyx Hunt is truly with me wherever I go. With detailed mapping and satellite imagery, along with a multitude of map layers from land access to forestry and habitat information and easy-to-use tools to mark, measure, and catalog important information, Onyx Hunt seamlessly integrates digital scouting with boots-on-the-ground time in the field. With offline mapping and Apple CarPlay integration, you are free to explore the wild landscapes our beloved upland birds inhabit. Planning your next move in the uplands begins with knowing where you stand, and for me, that starts and stops with Onyx Hunt. Download the Onyx Hunt app today and use the promo code BSP20 to save 20% on your Onyx Hunt subscription. When the miles rack up faster than your flush count, that's when you'll truly appreciate your hunting vest from Final Rise. Built for the uplands and proudly sewn in the USA, the complete lineup of hunting vests from Final Rise, from their all-new Summit XT down to the minimalist Sidekick system, are all built upon the foundational load-bearing waist belt and low-profile shoulder strap system, which allow you to carry all the gear you need and do so comfortably while maintaining your ability to move freely and perform when you need to most. With a complete lineup of accessories and newly released performance field apparel, Final Rise has the gear you need to help you get the most out of every mile and every flush. Final Rise gear is built for the uplands. Get yours today at FinalRise.com. The Birdshot Podcast is presented by Onyx Hunt. On this episode of the show, we preview an upcoming event for all you Drothar enthusiasts out there. Thanks for tuning in to episode number 169. All right. Welcome back to another episode of the Birdshot Podcast. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. Last episode of the month. It is March 30th today. I'm looking out my window at a fresh three inches of now wet and heavy snow here on the shores of Lake Superior. Kind of wishing it would disappear and the rest of it underneath would melt so I can get out in the spring woods with my bird dogs. But, oh well. The ski trails are a mess. The ice is crappy. And the woods are still snow-covered. I'm not complaining. There's still hockey on TV. And our Minnesota squad is pretty darn good this year. Just throwing that out there. Yes, I'm on the bandwagon. But when a Minnesota team is legit, you better jump on the bandwagon because it doesn't happen often. All right, we're going to be talking about Drot Fest very soon. An event coming up in May that we preview on today's show. But first, as always, thank you to my Patreon supporters. Your contributions have not gone unnoticed, and I can finally say the first really big initial round of little Patreon supporter care packages have been sent out. Most of you should have them. If you have not received your Birdshot Podcast can coolers and stickers and are wondering what in the heck happened, I did send a message out to all Patreon supporters asking for addresses. I need your mailing addresses. I did not have that information, and I heard from a lot of people, but not everyone. So if you don't check your Patreon account or look at those messages, you maybe didn't see that. 
but hopefully you're listening to this. And if you would like to receive those can coolers and birdshot podcast stickers, log into your Patreon account, check your messages, reply to my message there with your mailing address, and I will get them out to you right away. Now, as new Patreon supporters come on, I ask for mailing addresses right away. First thing I do is get that in the mail within a few days or so. So it won't take me nearly as long to get those out to new Patreon supporters. But again, thank you to everybody who has chosen to support the show in that way. I appreciate it. And for your contributions, you are, of course, eligible for Patreon giveaways. Last month, Chris won the complete video series from Upland Institute, video training series from Ron Bame and Justin McGrail. We did confirm that Chris wanted that course. He's got a new pup on the way, so congrats to Chris. The March giveaway will be an Onyx Elite subscription card. So there's about a day and a half left in March, depending on if you're listening to this right away. All Patreon supporters signed up before the end of March will be eligible for that Onyx Elite subscription card. And we'll see what we can come up with for April. I got a feeling it's going to be something cool. Patreon.com forward slash birdshot. Thanks for considering that. All right, another giveaway related topic the Lars Jacob gun fitting. Going back to the Lars Jacob episode earlier this month. I've heard from a bunch of you. We've got lots of entries in on this giveaway, which I was very happy to see. With that being a geographically specific kind of thing, limited to those willing to travel to Shoreham, Vermont. I wasn't sure how many people would actually enter that giveaway, but I have been pleasantly surprised. And again, just like the Patreon giveaway, if you are still listening to this in the month of March and you are interested in a gun fitting slash wing shooting instruction with Lars Jacob in Shoreham, Vermont. If you want more details, go back to episode 167. Listen to that intro. But basically, all you need to do is send me an email, nick at birdshotpodcast.com. Put get fit in the subject line, and we will get you entered into that contest. That will close at the end of this month. I will draw a winner, notify them, and in all likelihood, update you on the next episode of the Birdshot Podcast coming in early April. All right, and a reminder to subscribe to the Birdshot Podcast, follow the Birdshot Podcast. Please consider leaving us a rating or a review if you are able to do so on whichever platform you are listening to. But each subscription, follow, rating, review, all of those little things help the Birdshot Podcast. Very simple thing to do. And if you enjoy the show, I would certainly appreciate you considering doing any and or all of those things. And I thank you for that. And with that said, I think it's time to set up our interview today. Today's guest, Lyndon Roller, coordinator of DrotFest 2022. It's a super fun event coming up in Michigan, May 26th and 28th. It's at the Shanty Creek Resort in Bel Air, Michigan. Del Whitman, former guest of the show and likely future guest of the show, I'm going to be seeing him in May, connected me with Lyndon as he had a couple ideas on how Upland Gun Company and Lyndon and DrotFest could all work together. Lyndon started telling me about this event. Portions of it are open to the public, free to attend. And Lyndon had a cool backstory and how he got into hunting and how it has become a lifestyle and a passion for him, his dogs, his wife. Really enjoyed talking to Lyndon. And I suspect some listeners of the show will certainly be interested in attending this event and able to do so if you are in that area. So you'll learn a lot more about it on today's interview. And with that said, I'd like to welcome you into the conversation and onto the Birdshot podcast of the VDD Group North America, Lyndon Roller. All right, man, I'm going to hit record. That's enough jibber jabbering about 
pole barns and pellet stoves and mini splits. <laughs> but that that is uh, that is I, I get in that conversation quite a bit when I see your office and you see you see my office. But we are we are rolling here on the Birdshot podcast with Lyndon Roller. Thanks for joining me today, man. Yeah, absolutely. Michigan, you're located. Yes. Where at? Southern Michigan, uh, Marshall, Michigan, to be exact. Probably most well known for the writer John Belair's, uh, was a native here. He wrote, um, a house with a clock in its walls, hmm. which was made into a movie starring Jack Black a few years ago. No kidding. So, and he had a lot of historical architecture in little Marshall, Michigan. Say that again. House with clock in walls. House with the clock in its walls. Clock in its walls. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, it's kind of a, thriller it was a young adult novel when he wrote it years ago my actually i'd never read it but my wife had and she loved the book so when she heard that 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 uh the writer was from marshall it kind of sealed the deal when we were looking for a house <laughs> yeah that's 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 interesting i jotted that down maybe something to do this weekend yeah they, uh you know the whole movie business since the pandemic you know don't really go to movies anymore and of course there's lots of streaming options and stuff but i feel like it it's sort of there's lots of movies that come about that you just like i've never even heard of that and i don't know how big that movie was but jack black was in it right yes i think it was a kind of a bigger young adult novel yeah. many years ago but uh we've got a little theater in marshall i think maybe it seats 40 people 50 people nice but uh yeah we like going down there kind of a <laughs> evening they serve beer <laughs> That is cool. But yeah, it's it's a cool little town. We we've been enjoying it. We've been out here five years now. Love it, love it. Well, we're not here to talk about movies and and that kind of stuff. We're here, we're here to talk about bird dogs and hunting and and a big event coming up in May, which I'm excited. We will get to that later. But first, we want to we want to hear from you a little bit, Lyndon. Tell me about your introduction to hunting and bird dogs and kind of how you found yourself in in the position you are now where you're you're putting on this event for a bunch of bird doggers to get together (laughs) yeah well i grew up in the hudson valley uh back in new york um it's about 90 miles north of new york city and it's kind of a unique little area because uh it's it's it was very rural when i grew up there 80s and 90s um but it's also very close to new york city so they, we had kind of a, we had little farms and, um, you know, I grew up with German short hairs. My grandfather and father had, had, uh, short hairs and we did, you know, some local hunting for rough grouse and, and the pheasants that escaped the local preserves. Uh, so that was kind of like my introduction to growing up in a hunting household. And then, um, but the pull of New York City was always, very enticing to me. So yeah. I ended up, uh, you know, after going to, to uh, college, I ended up down in New York for many years and uh, kind of made my, my, my personal career down there, but always had, uh, you know, always had upstate, upstate to escape to. Mm-hmm. So, you know, fast forward many years of having a, a music career in a rock band and working at record stores in New York. And, uh, I was kind of settling down with my wife. We were living up in, in Harlem. I'd, I'd lived in Brooklyn for many years, often playing shows around New York and around the country, went on a lot of tours in Europe. Um, and uh, then we were, you know, like I said, trying to settle down a little bit more, got engaged. And my wife was offered a job in um, at Kellogg, uh, the food company, 
which is headquartered in Battle Creek, New York. I mean, Battle Creek, Michigan. Yeah, yeah. Um, yep, that's also known as Serial City. That I've been out here for about like a hundred years, along with Post. Um, so she said one day, you know, what do you think? You want to go move to Southern Michigan? <laughs> And I was like, yes, I do. I'm kind of like, I've been in the city like 18 years now. It's like, it's time for something different. And so we, we sort of stumbled into this world of like just a lot of outdoor hunting culture, um, and a lot of, uh, pretty hardcore dog people around me, hunting dog people in, in this area. So it didn't take long to, um, you know, start hanging out at the local gun club and meeting the local dog guys and getting involved in a couple of different organizations. And uh, now I'm just like full on bird hunting every year, <laughs> dog training. Clearly, <laughs> it's, it's pretty fun. Uh, I gotta ask, what what uh, are you a guitar player? What do you what do you do in the band? Yeah, guitar and bass. Okay. Yep. Yep. Yeah. You know, and in several bands. I mean, I had a couple of primary bands that, that we did a lot of touring with and, you know, had, had some success to the point where, you know, we were kind of like able to pay our rent and stay on tour and on the road for a long time. And then, you know, when you, when you weren't on tour in your primary band, you could play, you know, you could play, be like a hired gun in somebody else's band who had a big tour. And, um, it was a fun, really, interesting cool lifestyle for a while and i think there was some really great music made in new york in like the early aughts when i was down there it was like a really interesting time in new york because the, the dot-com boom was happening so i was kind of like a print becoming an apprentice programmer but at the same time there's this huge music scene happening so i got to to, to be involved in that too what ki- what kind of music put me in the ballpark at least oh uh, yeah. uh, all sorts i say i mean Ultimately, it was it, their rock bands. Okay, all right. But, you know, I don't know how much you want to deep dive on that. There's like, <laughs> we was very into post-rock and math rock. We had like, I was in a hardcore band that was very loud. We did a lot of touring okay. in Europe on that. Um, you know, ultimately, my main band was probably best described as a, as a space rock band, psychedelic like space rock. Yeah. So there you go. <laughs> I could I could get into that. I uh I don't know how how much the listeners know, but I kind of I I have a a little bit of a flair for metal and and hard rock, so I could probably get into that. <laughs> Same here. I mean, I just like a little bit. Of, I just I'm a super music geek because yeah. during the whole time in New York, touring and playing in, in bands, I was also working at a record store part time, and it was turned out to be like one of the I feel like most influential like important record stores in new york and maybe in the world too it's called other music hmm. um they actually made a, a documentary film about it after it closed a few years ago but um working at other music there was a lot of other touring musicians who worked there and they allowed us this lifestyle to go take long breaks while we went on tour and then have a job when we came home that's cool and it was just sort of a it was a super small store in um just near um NYU and New York University, kind of West Village, East Village area in downtown Manhattan. But it was like a crossroads of like so much international music and culture that you never knew who was going to come through the door and what kind of music they were going to bring. And it was, it was a cool place to, uh, to, to be immersed in the music scene. Super cool. So the real question is after folks are done listening to this entire episode from start to finish, can they, uh, can they jump over on Spotify and, and <laughs> check out some of your rock? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. The main band was called Hopewell. Um, it was formed in Hopewell Junction, New York, um, up in the Hudson Valley. 
Uh, and, um, you know, I, I didn't start the band. The, the singer started the band. I joined it kind of later. He was a good friend of mine. And, uh, we had a pretty good run. They, they, uh, I mean, he's, he's still recording and putting out music under that name. Um, but yeah, I, I always like to say we'll probably be a good, like, box set band. If that, if box sets ever existed, have like a rare and, 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 and underground recordings coming out. Yeah. And, um, so someday. Yeah. Super cool. Well, well, all that was going on, I think I'm kind of picking this up in, from your story, but it sounds like during that time, I mean, 18 years living in the city, you had upstate to escape to. Was hunting, was it a con- continual threat? I mean, would you get away and go hunting and did you maintain it or, or were there long p- stretches where you kind of had left it? Sadly, I'd left it for a while. Yeah, um, yeah it was like I didn't have a bird dog. Um, my, my father always kept one or two short hairs and he still did the hunting, but there wasn't a ton of, um, you know, the rough grouse were kind of not too, uh, plentiful where we were anymore after, yeah. you know, the, the eighties and nineties. Um, there was still shooting on preserves and things like that, but I hadn't really, I mean, for many years in New York, I didn't even have a car. So it wasn't like, you know, we would take the train back home upstate. So it wasn't like I could just drive in the car and go hunting somewhere. Yeah. Um, what we did do, however, was, uh, get into some sporting clay shooting. Mm. And so even though you can't have a gun in the city very easily, a long gun, um, I could always keep the shotguns up at my parents' place and, uh, my wife got into it too. So we started doing more skeet shooting and sporting clays and that wasn't hard to take the train upstate and go to, um, the local, uh, you know, sporting clays field, which happened to be a very, cool place in in uh, Millbrook, New York, where I grew up. Um, it was a, a shooting preserve called Sandinona, and they're now in Orvis. Oh, yeah, um, yeah. That sounds familiar, him. yep. Yep. So that was just down the street from where I grew up, so we always had the influence of, of Sandinona in our little, little town, and there was like a really big shooting and hunting culture, probably heavily influenced by like you know, English shooting culture, um, just because it's such an affluent area. There's so many, um, estates in the area. That's really kind of the primary driver of the economics in that, in that, that region. But, uh, yeah, they're the oldest licensed game preserve in the country, Santa Nona. And so when I was a kid, I did my career day there. (laughs) I was in junior high. (laughs) Awesome. (laughs) Yeah. So we would, uh, get on the train, um, from, from Harlem and 125th street there, and we'd go straight up uh, the Hudson River and, uh, you know, get picked up at the local train station and uh, head off to do some shooting at the local gun club or at, at Santa Nona. That's funny. That's like, I, I'm pulling visions of reading the old, you know, New England grouse hunting books where they would talk about <laughs> getting on the train in the city and heading up, heading up upstate and into the big woods. I mean, it's crazy. <laughs> no, I, it, it's like if we just had our bird dog and our little satchel yeah. and our long gun with us, you know, a hundred years before you probably could have gotten the train with those things. Right. But, but uh, not when I was there, especially after uh, September 11th happened only a few months after I moved down there. Oh, wow. The city was, was very different um, after that. But yeah. yeah. And interestingly, um, around that time that my wife was getting into shooting and I was kind of reconnecting with it, um, we were watching videos on YouTube of like shooting instruction, you know, trying to yeah. get brushed up again. And we found this series, um, uh, how to shoot, you know, skeet shooting done station by station by a guy named Chris Batha. 
And so he turns out to be one of the better known shooting instructors like in the country yep. and probably around the world. So we randomly uh, dropped him an email, uh, not really knowing who he was, and uh, said, hey, would, could we take lessons from you? And uh, he turned out to be down there in South Carolina. And so my wife's uh, parents live down in Columbia, South Carolina. And we said, hey, let's, let's make this a, a dual trip. We'll go down and take a, a lesson uh, from Chris Batha and visit your family. And uh, we ended up taking several lessons with Chris Batha and became uh, good, uh, good acquaintances with him. Yeah. And he taught us a lot. That is, that's super cool. I, I, I want to talk about that, but when your wife was getting into shooting, was that, was that, did she just sort of get interested in that on her own? I'm curious about that. Um, yeah, I think from taking trips upstate, um, you know, we were kind of weekenders at that point. We'd, we'd work our, our jobs in the city to yep. take the train down to uh, Grand Central, go to our jobs, and then we'd get away, you know, Friday afternoon or early Saturday morning, and then like Sunday evening come back. So yeah, I think she got into it because we took her to the local gun club, and she saw that it was such a, a big part of the, the, you know, it was like horses, fox hunting up there, and um, and shooting preserves. Wow. Yeah. So, yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's, I was going to mention, it's like a lot of parallels in sort of your story in that, you know, you grew up with hunting in the outdoors. I did here, but like I wanted to move to the city, which is Minneapolis, not quite as big, big of a city as New York, but I was down there and, and I loved it, but I was always, you know, retreating back up to Duluth and I would come up there every weekend, basically from the start of grouse opener through deer season. And I always knew I'd move back up here. I just didn't know how long it would take, but it was, you lasted a lot longer than me in the big city. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, the pull of staying on tour and everything. Yeah. But after a while, like, you can only spend so much time on the road before you start yeah. to get pretty tired. And, and it's kind of the same thing over and over again. And, you know, it it was cool to be, you, you start to think, well, what's the future going to hold for me being a touring musician? Yeah. <laughs> to your, you know, 30s and 40s. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, the Chris Bath, that's, that's so funny because, you know, it's it's one of the neat things about the fact that, and I don't know how, exactly how long ago this was, but you know, Chris put some videos on on YouTube, and you know, the reputation that that precedes him and everything. Like, you have no idea. You just find a YouTube video, and you kind of like it. it's one of the cool things. Like, you just can just sort of unassumingly, oh, I'll, I'll reach out to this guy. They feel more accessible, right? When when they put put themselves out there on a platform like that, and then here you are, a couple clicks later, and you're you're shooting with one of the best. In, you know, probably in the world. I don't know. Yeah. And then, you know, he's written several books yeah. um, and two of them, which I have like they're worn out the copies. Um, yeah. And, and they're all dog eared and I have my, my shooting measurements like written in the back of them and everything. And those, <laughs> those are really, those are really important textbooks to me. But after we took the lessons with him and got to know him better, then I started making the connections with, um, you know, he's, he goes to, uh, he knows Sandinona, Orvis Sandinona there. He's been, he knows our area. He knows several of the instructors in our area. He knows, um, my uh, new gunsmith and gun fitter out here in Michigan. Um, he he's you know it's it's a kind of a small world once you start to get into it. Yeah, but your your new gun fitter is and and uh, guy that's Del Whitman. Uh, yes, it is. Fan friend of the show, I should say. Uh, listeners yeah. will will be familiar with Dell if they've uh, listened to the show for a long time, and he will come up later in our conversation today. But yeah, very small world, kind of unfortunately 
so in some ways you almost wish there were more people in that trade but um the ones that are in it and are good you know they're they're treasures because it's 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 a limited limited pool of talent but despite that there are some incredibly knowledgeable and skilled people in that trade when it comes to gun fitting gun smithing wing shooting all that stuff chris's book which you mentioned we had talked about this a couple months ago the instinctive shot for listeners of this show well worth the price of admission there um it for, for folks that heard my interview with lars jacob a couple of weeks ago chris's book and i mentioned it on that show really fueled a lot of that conversation and i have i do intend to get chris on the show i've i've been in touch with him and uh we'll set that up at some point but yeah his he's got two books one of them what uh breaking clays and then the breaking clays is the one we started with because we were you know just doing a lot of target shooting and uh when i first moved out here uh, kellogg kind of put us in an apartment and we we never owned a house before and we didn't we didn't know what we wanted. So we were in an apartment, you know, I didn't have a lawn to mow or a dog or anything <laughs> at that point. So I joined the NSCA national sporting clays association, ended up taking some lessons with a fellow named Pat Liskey here, who's also a pretty well-known shot. He was kind of the national sporting clays champion for, for several years. And he owns a couple of um, big facilities out here. Okay. And, um, so just got into, you know, competitive sporting clay shooting pretty hardcore for the first couple of years. And my wife was still doing a lot of skeet shooting at that point. So, you know, it was kind of a really good introduction to be able to get into the, the wing shooting side of things. Yep. Um, just, just having done a ton of shooting, we were all really comfortable and familiar with long guns when, when it did get time to go to the field. Yeah. Developing that proficiency again. I mean, that's a, I think it's one of the things we've talked about a little bit before with a lot of the the kids coming up doing the trap shooting stuff in high schools and that the explosive growth there, you know, proficiency with the shotgun and confidence and safety, all that stuff being a huge precursor to making your foray into bird hunting. If you so choose to do, you know, that's a, that's a big step in the right direction. So you're back into shooting and you're in Michigan now. At what point does the, does the bird dog seed get planted again and get your wheels turning? (laughs) Yeah. So, you know, we're looking for a house, but we're not sure if we want to live in a subdivision uh, or just live out. You know, I wanted to live out in the country, you know, yeah. on some acreage. Me too. And we're, <laughs> yep. So, you know, but we're, we're shopping around for a house and I decide to go to a rough grouse society dinner, mm. like our local one, just trying to meet some people yep. and um, see what the local hunting scene's like. I just by chance happened to sit down at a table with um, several local drop heart guys. And, um, you know, I was, we were shopping around for, for dogs. I'd looked at English cockers. I'd looked at German short hairs like I grew up with. Um, but I didn't know much about draw hars. And so I started asking them some questions and, uh, they started telling me about the testing system they go through and what they do with their dogs. And I was pretty immediately hooked and, and, and impressed about the stuff that they do with their dogs. And, uh, so, uh, you know, it, Took us a little while to find a litter yep. that was coming along and, and get on the list because we were just, you know, we weren't exactly a proven hunting household. People weren't falling all over themselves to uh, give us a puppy. <laughs> uh, and we needed to find one kind of local. We wanted a local breeder who we'd be able to stay in touch with and help us with the dog. Yeah. Um, but that was a pretty key event going to that Rough Grouse Society dinner. And um, matter of fact, we just went to another one after taking a couple years off and i think that was our 
that was our fourth or fifth rough grouse society dinner we've been at. We've sat at the same table with those, those uh, people every year. Yeah. You know, if they've become good friends. That's cool. That's, it's a familiar st- story. It is something that folks will mention, you know, if you're looking to get to know more people that have this same interest to, you know, drop by a, a pheasants forever banquet or a rough grouse society banquet. Again, it's not a, not always a, a perfect solution, but in your case it worked and it, it definitely can. I've met a lot of people through going to dinners and events like that. So it's a, it's definitely a good thing to do. Local networking. Exactly. Yes. Yep. Which is sometimes, uh, sometimes lost on us with the, with the new technology and everything these days, but yeah, you gotta, you, you gotta be you in know the right it was places. worth worth mentioning too, is when I moved out here, a couple of podcasts happened to be getting going that I thought were really helpful and instructional at the time and just got me excited about getting into the outdoors again. Um, Ron Bain started his hunting dog podcast yep. uh, around the same time I moved out here. Um, the Meat Eater podcast was was getting popular. And, you know, with Ranella being from Michigan and Ron Bain being here up in Michigan, I mean, I sort of started to see that there's a lot going on here in the yeah. state and a lot of opportunities to connect with people who are doing some cool stuff. So that, that got me fired up. And then we uh, finally found a house that we agreed on, and it turned out to be on some acreage and uh, in a pretty beautiful rural area. Um, and we got to know kind of the, the, the landowner farmers around us, so we got some access to some, some pretty good places to run the dogs. Cool. Um, and, uh, you know, big pole barn and, uh, and a loft of pigeons and, and things are a couple of dogs later and things are going pretty good. That puts a smile on my face. That sounds like a, sounds like a nice place. Do you have, are there, you know, not being as familiar with, with the Michigan landscape geography, are there game birds around or not really? Um, so the woodcock are coming through right okay. now. Okay. They're migrating back up and, uh, every March, um, we really make a big push to try to get the, the dogs on, um, on the woodcock as they come back up through. And it's, it's always surprises me, you know, from one day to another, um, when the, the winds change and the different climate, you might find zero that day, or you might run into a whole pile of them. Yeah. So it's, pretty exciting um but they end up going a little further north sure um you know during the summer so you know we can always drive up and, and hunt them later in the fall um but uh, right now they happen to be coming through southern michigan area as far as other game birds go like actually in southern michigan um sadly there's really not a ton here right now um there's definitely some pheasants around in the bigger deep swamps um, and we have a lot of swamps in Michigan. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so you, uh, uh, you know, deer hunting every year, I, I would definitely hear wild pheasants cackling and, okay. and see them. And there's a couple places we can, we can get on those birds, yeah. but, um, there are some huntable populations here and I, I do get pheasants in Michigan every year. Um, but I usually have to go to a little bit farther north and towards the thumb. Gotcha. Yep. Yeah. It, the, the woodcock, that, it's really amazing. I mean, if you got a dog that can find them, you know, the whole migration corridor and like just the, the places that they'll pop up and, and you can go find them. And like you're saying, you know, they're there one day and, and gone the next, but that's always nice. If you can go out the back door and get your dog on wild birds, that's uh that helps make a bird dog. Yeah. And of course it's worth mentioning the rough grouse here in Michigan. Yeah. I mean, there really aren't any in the Southern area that I'm in. Um, you know, it's the most populated area in the state is, is I think, 
the majority of the population is down in the lower third of, of Michigan where I am. But you just start driving north uh, an hour or two and you're in some of the best rough grouse um, areas um, around. Yeah. And, and woodcock. Would you say, what is the, is, is rough grouse and woodcock hunting, is that kind of the primary focus of your dogs when it comes to fall? We're, well, uh, we, we spread it around. We tried okay. to do a little okay. bit of everything, uh, having, you know, a drought har sure. and, uh, it being a versatile breed. I really like the idea of, I'm probably not an expert at anything, any one thing, but I'm a little bit good at a whole bunch of stuff. Yeah. So, uh, we, we try to hunt a little bit of everything. Um, if I had to pick my favorite game birds to chase, I would say that woodcock is probably number one. Um, yeah. just because they're such unique, cool birds and they really do, um, uh, they really do, are, they're good for, for our dogs, um, you know, just holding points. And then I really got into quail, uh, last couple of years. Okay. Um, so I just love uh, chasing quail now, um, doing some road trips and getting after quail. We technically do have a quail season here in Michigan still, but, uh, and, and occasionally some people will tell you that they, that they, they moved a covey of quail, but it's, it's very rare. We yeah. have no huntable population here. Um, to speak of, but, uh, you don't have to go too far to get into some quail. Yeah. Very cool. That's, that's definitely on, on my list of things to do in the near future here. I haven't had a chance to do it yet, but let's circle back to the draught har a little bit. So you, you went to the rough grouse society banquet, you sat down with these folks, started drinking the Kool-Aid a little bit, but <laughs> talk to me about the draught har. And again, I mean, you know, I know the name I've been around them. I've probably hunted with one or two. I have to strain my memory a little bit, but let's do a, a kind of an overview of the draught har. What is it? What are, what are some of the specifics? And let's learn a little bit more about it because this ties into, we haven't really touched on it, but VDD North America. So maybe weave that into this, this conversation. Yeah. So it's the, the Deutsch draught har is the full official name. Uh, draught har being a compound word and in, in German, it's a German dog, uh, is, uh, rough hair, uh, so our wire hair would yep. be drop har would be, uh, the, the, uh, the har hair part. Um, the breed was, uh, developed in the late 1800s in Germany. And, uh, I think it was, it was 1902 that they founded the organization, the Varen Deutsch Drahar organization. Okay. Um, so that's a 120 year old organization in, you could roughly say that the dog, the breed is about 120 years old now. What does Varen mean? Stanford, you know? See, I've only been in this organization now uh, a little over uh, three years. So, um, you know, I don't want to say the wrong thing. Yeah. But it's my understanding that Varen is like, uh, it roughly translates to true. Okay. Um, yep. Uh, the, the real, perhaps. But again, don't quote me. There's a lot of people in this organization who are super knowledgeable about the, uh, the, the history and details. So, um, well, I'm just going to pop this in here. If my German buddy Simon is listening to this, which I hope he is, I'm going to have him, uh, reach out to me and we'll go over that. (laughs) Yeah. So, I mean, that organization, people refer to it as the VDD Mm -hmm. and that's really our parent organization. That's what I've heard. It's, it's headquartered in Berlin. That's where they keep the stud dog books. Um, so all the registered, you know, all the, 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 the big time dogs are listed over there and, um, Yep, all our dogs are ultimately regulated by that organization out of Germany, and they have, uh, uh, you know, satellite clubs all over the world, you know, Europe and yep. beyond now. Um, th- but they're really all over the place. The the satellite clubs, the 
one of the biggest single clubs being uh, Group North America. So um, the U.S. Uh, satellite club, um, you know, that is uh, is called the VDDGNA or Varen Deutschdrahar Group North America. Gotcha. And there's there's Group this, there's Group that all over the world. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, so uh, GNA or, or our group here, Group North America, was founded in 1971. So quite a while after it'd been going for a long time in Germany. Yeah. And um, the, the early stories of how GNA was formed um, are it, it was a lot of uh, soldiers coming back from the war. They'd seen these dogs over there and they were interested in getting them. They brought them back, but uh, Germany wouldn't let us breed or test them over here. So if you wanted a Drahar, you had to import one. And then eventually got, you know, there was enough, uh, you know, interest and um, people who were serious about the breed over here where they were able to um, basically get, get our, our uh, satellite group formed over here. Um, some real key people got that done back in the 70s. So we're, uh, we just had our 50th year jubilee as, as an organization. And, um, and we've come a long way uh, from the early days of, of drought har breeding in America. So today, really, the BDD GNA, that would facilitate the actual breeding of Drothar in the U.S. You can breed Drothars here now because, really because of this, right? Yeah, we're able to have our performance and uh, breed show judges. Um, actually, we're able to develop them over here. And um, because of that, uh, we're able to, to test and, and breed uh, Drothars here in America. Gearing up for your next hunt? Check out Ugly Dog Hunting Company for all your dog supply needs. Ugly Dog Hunting carries a full line of products for your bird dog and even some for you. Whether you're looking for dog collars, GPS tracking devices, kennels, beds, leads, training equipment, or first aid supplies, Ugly Dog Hunting carries it and a whole lot more. New owner of the company and Fred of the Bird Shop podcast, Mike Nadusky, loves to remind me that while I do hunt with pretty dogs, every dog can be an ugly dog. Check out the entire selection of gear for you and your bird dog at UglyDogHunting.com. For many upland hunters, along with their passion for dogs, birds, and the places we chase them, comes a passion for shotguns. Upland Gun Company specializes in customizing shotguns for the upland bird hunter imported from Italy and shipped direct to an FFL near you. Select from one of their side-by-side or over-under shotgun platforms and customize the fit, function, and aesthetics to your liking. Design and build your next upland hunting shotgun with Upland Gun Company today. Visit UplandGunCompany.com. So what was it about the Drothar that that really appealed to you? Yeah, so um, the Drothar is made up of uh, four foundation breeds. Um, it's kind of a really cool hybrid of a lot of dogs that I already liked. Um, so the four breeds that, that make up the Drot are the Poodle Pointer, uh, the Griffon, uh, the German Shorthair, known in Germany as the Deutsch Kurzhaar, mm-hmm. and the Stickelhaar. Ooh, I don't know if I've yeah. heard that one. <laughs> That's kind of the oddball. Um, uh, you know, you don't see people... I've never met a Stickelhaar owner over I don't, here. I can't say that I have. <laughs> Again, I don't know all the details, but it's my understanding they bred the Stickelhaar in for a little bit more of the fur drive and the sharpness. Okay. Okay. And uh, it just sounds like kind of a 
badass dog to stick with her, but <laughs> I don't know too much about that breed, but I certainly have hunted over poodle pointers. They're quite popular now. Yep. Uh, griffons that are super popular, especially in the Navda group that I train with. There's a lot of griffs now. Yep. Um, and then, like I said, I grew up with short hairs, so I already liked short hairs yeah. um, and, and knew they were good for hunting, but I also was in you know, probably a little bit colder of an environment here. And there was, um, in Michigan and there was also, you know, I was getting more into waterfowl hunting and, uh, you know, just out in the, the, the elements a little bit more. I wanted, I liked the idea of a, you know, just a kind of a bigger, stronger dog with a real, uh, tight coat and able to withstand elements a little bit more. And, um, you know, the other thing that I really liked about the organization was the fact that, you know, to be a breedable Jothar, you have to go through their testing system. And the testing system's pretty, it's, it's pretty high level testing. It's, it, you gotta do a lot and fill out a lot of paperwork because they're Germans and send <laughs> things in on time. And you gotta travel for tests and do a lot of training. And I kind of need, I like that. And I needed that structure sure. in order to like, you know, have my first bird dog knowing that I'm going to get from point A to point B. I had kind of a, like a path to follow. If, if you started with the puppy test and ended with the advanced test, you were going to have one of the better bird dogs around. Yeah. I, I appreciate that. And I like, I can absolutely see the appeal of, again, having a path. I think that's a good way to put it. Um, of course you have these people around you and the mentors that kind of brought you into it, but a little bit of structure and give you a destination to try to get to with your pup, keep you focused, keep you again, working towards something while working together. I like how that kind of ties everything in. Yeah. The, the other thing that appealed to me too was, um, the organization had a, you know, it was, it, the dog was bred by hunters and they're very, it's very important. They go to hunting families and families that will test the dogs. So, so the breeders have feedback and know how they're doing so they can make smart choices for the the next uh, breedings they want to do. And the whole tenets of the organization was really about responsible hunting and, um, you know, retrieving game after the shot, doing the work after the shot. Yeah. And so I really feel like that aligns with a lot of things that are kind of happening in the modern movement of hunting that is about retrieving the game so you can eat it. The food is like a big emphasis and we're super into cooking wild game. Yeah. And just like, just aligns with the, the, the mission of like conservation of a lot of like modern organizations. So I felt like this was like, the, the dog kind of, the group kind of embodied what was, um, what, what I felt was important about hunting now too. Yeah. Now the, uh, that good looking pup that I saw right before we hit record, that's Cash. He's five months old, did you say? Yeah. Uh-huh. Five month old pup. Is that your first drought har? No. Um, we have uh, a three year old okay. drought. That was our first one. And, um, he is, uh, we're, we're training for the, the kind of advanced, the, our version of the utility test this year. Okay. So he's, that one's a certified breedable. He's been through the puppy test and the intermediate test and his breed show. So we've checked all the boxes with him. And, uh, yep, he's a, a breedable male. And, and I do hope to breed him someday because this is the, was... the three year old that you're talking about. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Gotcha. Yeah. Yep. Um, we've, my wife maintains an Instagram account for him. And, uh, so we've kind of been able to document his, like, right from when we picked him up as a puppy through all the tests and all the training. And, uh, I look back at that account now and, uh, I'm just, it's, it's really cool to see what we've, what we've gone through. That's cool. Do you, do you want to share the Instagram account? Oh, sure. It's, uh, uh Diesel Vombrosius. 
Maybe you can put that in the show notes. Yes, I will definitely. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, all our kennel names, um, you know, they're, they're Vom, a lot of them are Vom something, yeah. Vom Brocious, yeah. or um, this new dog is uh, Vom Makoshika. Um, so they, they, when we pick up the dogs, they come to us with their own kennel, the, the breeders give them kennel names. And they're, um, the kennel name is, you know, what, what the, the breeder's whole kennel is called, and that's registered in Germany, and you have to go through a lot to, to be a, a, get a kennel name. But the first name, the first letter of the first name always starts with the alphabet number, the alphabet of order of what, what litter they're on. So Diesel was the D litter okay. for the Vombrosius kennel, which is in Grand Rapids, Michigan here. Okay. Um, yep. So, and then, um, but uh, most guys don't keep the kennel name. Well, they don't refer to the kennel name. They, they have a call, call name. name. Yeah. Gotcha. Yep. Yep. So we call Diesel Vombrosius. We call him Axel because we've got like a, a music theme going on with our go. dog names. Yeah. So we, we're, we're big Guns N' Roses fans, so we had we had to, we called the first one Axel. When is Slash coming? You know, Cash was almost Slash. Okay, okay. <laughs> we were thinking about doing the whole band, but but then, you know, he just we like Johnny Cash a lot, yeah. and uh, and Cash just he he he, be, he turned into a Cash instead of a Slash. Yeah, I, I like both of those names. I think I think Slash would be a cool name for a Drothar. <laughs> well, if you if you if you turn up with two Drothars named Axel and Slash, like. <laughs> You're definitely making a statement. You better, you better bring it, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, because they they do have a bit of reputation, I think, in the hunting world. Yeah. Um, you know, some of it, you know, kind of on the the rough, tougher side, and maybe not having as much nuance, uh, you know, as as some of the more specialized dogs. Yeah. But you know, I've I've found that not necessarily to be true. I think they actually can be very good at a at at a lot of things. <laughs> As much nature as there is in bird dogs, I, I think there's a pretty healthy dose of nurture as well, right? Yeah, absolutely. And we live really kind of like our our dogs are house dogs. Yeah. And, um, you know, maybe in, in the earlier versions of Drothars, that probably wasn't quite as common. But uh, they've made a big push to kind of make them a little bit, um, you know, not not like mild in any sort of sense, but like really identify the off switch to, to be family dogs. And, and our first dog, um, Axel really has that. I mean, he's just, just so chill in the house and, and perfect gentleman. And then boy, does he turn it on in, yeah. in the field? I mean, it's, it's incredible. He just goes for it. So great genetics there. I really like what he does. And we're hoping the same out of cash. Of course, he's still a five month old puppy. Yeah. So he's a little crazy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The family dog, house dog on off switch, whether that is a trend or just an evolution in bird dogs, um, it, you could, you could sort of paint that across the entire world of bird dogs, because ever since I've been, was looking for my first dog in 2014, you know, that's been a topic of conversation and I feel like it's, you know, it's louder. And again, I think it's just the, sort of the way that many people think of their bird dogs today, whereas that may have not always been the case, but yeah, the short hairs I grew up with, a couple of them almost got kicked out of the house by my mother. I mean, they were, they were pretty, a couple of them were pretty crazy. And, you know, that might've just been the breeding we had we, yeah. and we we didn't really, we didn't know much about training growing up. So they were just kind of like throw them in the back of the truck and go hunting kind of dogs. And, you know, they would, they would act out in the house for sure. Yeah. So that's what I was going to ask you about that. You know, again, 
the landscape of information and tra- I mean, again, like these podcasts and all of the books and YouTube, like just we're, we have information overload now where you have access to all this stuff and it's fun because people can kind of go off the deep end with it. You've got a lot more to wade through, but so much access to information, whereas that just really wasn't the case back then. And I was, I was kind of curious about what you remembered about those bird dogs from, you know, decades ago. Yeah, they were rascals. They were always running off and, you know, we lived right in the village. So <laughs> yep, they'd, we'd yell at them to come back to the house and they'd look at us, turn the other way and run through the neighbor's yard. And then we'd jump in the car and go try to chase them. It was kind of like a kind of hilarious back then. You mean but, you didn't um, have a GPS collar on them? <laughs> I mean, that's just, you know, and, and I look back and my dad at the time was younger than I am now. I mean, he was just trying to have a family and a job and, you know, the bird dog was just something his dad had. So of course he had a bird dog. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's different now for sure. I mean, with that, all that information and how, how good dogs can be and what you can do with them, I think it is really good, but I also try to keep it in perspective and not get overwhelmed by it because I, over the last couple of years, I mean, we've had, we had the first drought, we've had three years now and I got a, a really good hunting season in, even in his first year, he yeah. was, he was, uh, you know, nine, 10, 11 months old and that dog really hunted in the first season. And so ever since then we hit it pretty hard in the fall. And, um, you know, I try to remind, remind myself though, I need to enjoy myself yeah. and not go too crazy and not drive too far and keep things in perspective wow. and, you know, realize that I have a family life and a, and a career too, and not become, you know, a completely obsessed with, with bird hunting. Yeah. I'm uh, <laughs> definitely smiling and nodding my head in agreement there. I need those reminders as well. Well, let's, let's talk about Drot Fast. Man, I, all I can think about is the movie Beer Fest, and then I kind of think I sort of want a beer, even though it's 1030 in the morning. <laughs> Drop Fest sounds like fun, Lyndon. Yeah, well, here's how Drop Fest came about. Um, and this, this is, a, uh, is kind of an event we're having in late May in northern Michigan here. But, you know, I talked about the group North America yep. earlier. So that that's our, you know, Drop Hard group here in America. But since America is so big... The, we, the Germans kind of decided to break us up into chapters um, because we are so geographically diverse. Okay. So there's eight chapters in the U.S. Um, there's like the, the Atlantic chapter and the Wild West chapter and the Midwest North and everything. But we're in the Great Lakes chapter, which is the smallest chapter because it only has Michigan, Indiana, and Ohio in it. But we're one of the chapters, and so um, every year... The um, uh, group North America has a national annual meeting where they do their, their voting and, um, you know, it's our annual meeting. So each of the chapters is responsible for putting on that annual meeting each year. And so we've known for a few years, it's on the books, that Great Lakes chapter, that's our responsibility in 2022 to do the annual meeting. And most of the time it ends up being a pretty small meeting that just has the local chapter in it and then the the executive committee flies in from wherever they are yep. and they have like a little meeting at a local gun club or not well we have a new chairman of our organization named mike secker and he came to the great lakes chapter and he's like hey i would like to make this a little bit more of an event this year so uh you know rather than inviting people to the uh you know the the vdd annual meeting we um 
we brainstorm some ideas to try to get some more people out, maybe outside of our chapter and outside of our organization to make it more of a family oriented, people interested in hunting kind of event. Yeah. Um, so we came up with Drop Fest. Uh, to be specific, my wife came up with Drop Fest. <laughs> nice. she, she's in marketing. Credit at, where at credit Drop is due. <laughs> yes, she's she's got a big corporate career in marketing, and she's <laughs> very good at that. So I think we're borrowing some brand equity from Pheasant Fest, which I just came back from. Oh, excellent! Um, yes. Yeah. Yep. So that this is we've dubbed the 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 GNA annual meeting Drop Fest this year, and it's happening May twenty seventh and twenty eighth in Northern Michigan. Um, at a resort called Shanty Creek. So we're trying to make it kind of a destination where people want to come to because late May in northern Michigan is just beautiful. Yep. And we also wanted to make it a very dog-oriented event. So we made sure to find a resort that was uh, happy to have dogs on site and in the rooms. So you can, uh, so we're, we're bringing our dogs and we're doing a whole bunch. We have a lot of special guests. Uh, we have a lot of events and we have, you know, a big banquet dinner at the end and, you know, silent auction and things like that. Yeah. There'll be some, some things that folks are familiar with, with events like this. But again, I think the thing that caught my attention when we first talked about it, it was super cool is that it's the special guest lineup, which I think we should probably run through a little bit because there'll be some familiar names on here for, for folks, but it's open to the public, free to attend. Yep. Uh, Mike Secker really wanted everybody to know that our, our annual meeting and the banquet dinner and, and, and all the, um, the, the special guests we're having is you can literally just go there to, to Shanty Creek Resort, walk in, talk to people, sit down, enjoy the events. Um, the only thing that um, you have to pay for uh, is if you want to stay the night at the hotel yep. uh, and you want to book in our, our block of rooms then uh, you need to go and reserve your room at Chanty Creek. And then we also have two dinners going on. Uh, Friday night, we're going down to the little town of Bel Air. We're going to Shorts Brewery. So we're going to have like an offsite dinner on Friday night. That's cool. a, a ticketed paid event. Yep. And then Saturday night, we have our big banquet dinner at Chanty Creek. Um, so that's also, you need to buy a ticket. So yeah, the, it's free and open to the public. Come and go as you please. The only thing you have to pay for is, um, you have to pre-buy your food tickets if you want to go to either of those dinners. Sure. And if you want to stay at the hotel, you gotta, you gotta, yeah, book your room too. Yeah. Yeah. So a little bit of that, but again, the special guest lineup, I mean, you guys are bringing in some, some very cool people, interesting folks that I think would be appealing to listeners of the show. Again, if they're in the area, want to go, I can't think of like a, like an easier, lower barrier to go. Like if you're interested in drought hours or something, or just like we talked about earlier in the episode, like if this is something you're interested in and you want to get near people that have this interest, I mean, what, what better place to do it? Right. Yeah. And I mean, it's kind of a unique opportunity because we'll not only, we'll have some of the most hardcore drop hard people there sure. from all over the country. Every year, all the chapter chairmen go to the event. So you've got, you know, the chairman from down in the Southeast and up in the Northwest. They're all coming. And then the executive committee's coming. Um, and they're all hardcore drop people. Plus we're having, um, like a stud dog show. It's called a stud dog review. So we'll have, there'll be several breedable males there, kind of like the, you know, best of the best kind of looking dog. So you can really get your hands on, uh, on, you know, check out, uh, draughts in person and talk to the breeders and stud dog owners. Yeah. I did 
speak to just coincidentally i spoke to an upland gun company customer last week my friend terry petro he's gonna be over there do you know that name i've heard it yeah no there's a lot of people coming out of the woodwork who i'm just like <laughs> wow great uh yeah come up i'm meeting a lot of new people yeah i know he'll be over there and we were talking about uh, we've got to get him a gun fitting with del whitman which we may do in minnesota but del whitman somebody that we brought up he will be at the event so terry and i were spitballing a little bit trying to see if we could maybe get him fit, or if we needed to get him fit over there but anyways that's neither here nor there let's let's talk about the special guest maybe you just want to run through the lineup a little bit and let folks know who's going to be there and what they would have access to to see because i think it's worth mentioning for sure yeah well let's start with del whitman yeah <laughs> you know i was listening to a lot of podcasts and i listened to i believe it was the orvis podcast okay and del was interviewed and i was like wow this guy really knows what he's talking about yeah and because i was coming from kind of a competitive sporting clays background i knew the importance of uh, getting your gun fit and patterning your gun. And um, so I was like, this is a guy I need to talk to. And lo and behold, he's not that far from me. He's like three hours north, yep. actually not far from um, the Traverse City area, which is is near where the Shanty Creek Resort is right. and where we're having the event. So it, it, it was, we went up there, I, we got gun fittings for my wife and I, and he bent the stock on my gun and uh, got us all dialed in, and uh, I've even gone grouse hunting with him a few times. Oh, nice! Just a super knowledgeable, interesting guy, and he's he's really getting into uh, reloading and patterning now. Yes, he is. Um, yep. So I just thought it was like a natural fit um, for Drop Fest because he is such a kind of well-known expert, and he wasn't far from the uh, the where we're holding the event. So he's going to give a talk on Friday morning about the importance of gun fitting, patterning field care of your gun. Um, and these are topics that I feel like really uh, tie into our, our mission of conservation too. You know, you, you want to be effective at, yep. at uh, shooting and killing the thing you're going after, um, you know, so you don't, you know, your, your dog can find it after the shot and, and bring it back to you. So, and he's pretty excited to do it. So I'm, I'm super interested to see what he has to say too. Yeah. Uh, before we leave that, uh, First of all, I think that's, again, you might think of the VDD North America Drot Fest dog group. I love the I love the working in of shotgunning and shooting, and for exactly the reasons you're mentioning, you know, it's an important piece of this whole puzzle and, and wanting folks to be better at it, more knowledgeable around shotgunning, shooting, patterning, all that stuff. Um, I've had many conversations about on those topics with Dell, and, I mean, I couldn't think of many people that would be better than him to go over that. So that alone would be of interest to me i'd be i'd be wanting to get over there for that for sure have you ever hunted with anybody who is as quick on the trigger as del whitman there there's some pretty <laughs> quick draws around here there's there's a guy at the local gun club who is uh is amazingly fast but yeah no del can get on it and he you know he shoots those really special like light guns yep. too yep. and he's just such a hardcore grouse hunter and and woodcock hunter up there that he he knows what he's doing and um, he's got some really cool dogs too. Yeah. Yeah, he does. I have, I have yet to hunt with Dell. I'm, I'm jealous of you there. I, would, I hope to at some point, but I did shoot sporting clays with him and I just, uh, remember how lightning quick he was. <laughs> yeah. He's, he's a good shot and it's cool. He did, he did a lot of competitive shooting when he was younger, um, growing up on, on trap team. So yeah, after we got our gun fit, um, you know, I went back up there to pick it up and I think we met at the local gun club and did some five stand, 
And I think we were both sizing each other up to see. We were like, yeah, you're a pretty good shot. And yeah, you, you know what you're doing. <laughs> so it, it's cool when your, your gunsmith is, uh, actually a pretty good shot. And yes. Too. Yeah, very much. Yep. Yeah. But he's, he's, he's going to bring a, a bunch of patterns from loads that he's doing and oh, different cool. uh, chokes. And so he's, he's all excited about it. So I think that's going to be a, a, a pretty, a pretty cool thing. Yeah. We've been going back and forth a lot lately about little light 12 gauge loads and two inch shells and extracting all that performance out of that big bore with a lighter payload or a, I don't want to geek out or get go down a <laughs> rabbit hole too much, but, but, I'm, I'm into that yeah. because, you know, I don't have that many guns yeah. and I just, I happened to find a gun I really like when I moved out here and I've just stuck with that one gun and it's been a 12 gauge. Um, you know, it's a, it's a Beretta ultralight that's got an aluminum receiver. I just found mm-hmm. it used in a local gun shop over here in Kalamazoo yep. and, um, it's just my perfect all around gun for everything. And so that was the gun I finally got fit and dialed in just right. And now I'm just finding the right load for it for different, doing different things. But, um, you know, I love the idea of moving to lighter gauge guns and I, you know, recently purchased some twenties and, you know, but I also really like the idea of keeping it simple, just having one gun with a few different loads and, um, you know, maybe you take your backup gun with you, but, but that, that Beretta has been, has been great for me since I moved out here. Well, you're a versatile dog guy. The 12 gauges, it's the most versatile gauge there is. And it, and again, if you, a lot of times the, the things that people think of when they think of a 12 gauge, too big, too heavy, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Well, you can find 12 gauges that are not heavy. And if you find one that has the fit, feel and balance and all the characteristics that you like, there's not a more proficient gun out there i don't believe i use it to train with um i use it for for everything i'll shoot waterfowl with it and yep it's just it's one less thing for me to worry about because i'm so focused on you know dog work and yeah and um it just being able to have that that gun for everything yep super cool well so yeah so dell's gonna be there let's uh who else we got? There's there's some big names on this list. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm super excited about uh, Craig Koshek. He's coming down from Canada to attend our event, and Excellent. he's developing a talk specifically about the history. You know, the he's big into um, cultural history surrounding the development of different dog breeds. So he's going to do a talk about the the, the culture that that sparked um, the development of the Deutsch Drahar and specifically how the wire hair coat was developed because okay. it's very tricky to uh, to get a good wire hair and, and keep that consistent. So yeah, I've sent him a bunch of research material, kind of our 50th anniversary book and our some newsletters and uh, our form and hair kind of book, which is sort of the the textbook for, um, the, the drought hard, uh, you know, obviously the, the breed show confirmation. So I'm excited to see what he comes up with. And, yeah. uh, we'll also have some really, you know, hardcore like drought hard historians there in the audience. So it'll be really interesting to get them together and, uh, and have them talk. That could and, spur some yeah. cool conversations. <laughs> yeah. And I guess I just, if people don't know who Craig Koshek is, um, he does a podcast called the hunting dog confidential with Jennifer Wapensky, yep. um, in part of the project upland, um, podcast series and, and also a magazine. Uh, I believe it's a quarterly magazine, yep. uh, of the same name. So yeah, hunting dog confidential, which is, I, I really like that podcast because we're, my wife and I are just super geeks about, about dogs and yep. dog history. Yeah. 
So, so Craig's um, going to be there and give a talk. He's also, I'm going to bring up uh, my, my book, uh, you know, my, my copy of his book called uh, the, the Continentals, uh, Volume 1, yes. which is a big coffee table book that he put out several years ago. Um, so I'm going to get that signed by him. And uh, I know that coffee table book sitting on several members in their libraries here in Michigan. So we bring up our copies of the book. And also he's just putting the finishing touches on um, volume two. Um, so I'm not sure if he'll have any copies, but uh, I'm excited to see that book. Yeah. So, yep, that's Craig. He's given, um, he'll be giving his talk on uh, Saturday afternoon okay. at Drop Fest. Let's see, Friday afternoon after Del Whitman. Jumping around the days a little bit, yeah, but yeah. we've got, um, Friday afternoon, we've got a really cool drought heart owner who also is into tackles and hawking and pigeons, racing pigeons. And, um, his name is Anthony Williams. Cool. He lives in the Pacific Northwest, but actually ha- also has a place in Canada. And, uh, I heard him on a hunting dog confidential podcast. Okay. Uh, Episode 26, if anyone wants to go listen to it, um, is with, uh, is, is about Anthony Williams. And I was just so enthralled by his story of uh, growing up in Queens, New York and ending up like a hardcore hunting dog and hawking, uh, and falconry guy. Yeah. Super interesting. So I just happened to get in touch with him out of the blue through Craig Koshek and, um, it worked out perfect that he, uh, was actually going to be traveling to his place in Canada to do some turkey hunting in late May. And he said, sure, I'll come and speak at Drought Fest. So uh, he's given a talk about his uh, his life with drought hares and, and hunting dogs and birds um, on Friday afternoon, which I'm excited about. And then um, on um, Saturday morning, we've got uh, Jonathan Wilkins. So Jonathan is from Arkansas. And uh, he runs a guide service uh, called Black Duck Revival. Um, and I heard about him because um, Meat Eater did a, a feature on him, okay. uh, like a short YouTube kind of um, uh, uh, feature about his um, waterfowl hunting down there and his life with wild game cooking. And uh, Jonathan's done, uh, you know, he, he writes for Outdoor Life. Um, he's been featured in Garden and Gun. Um, he's he's really um, interesting character. And we wanted somebody from kind of just outside our little Michigan world. Yeah. Um, and also we wanted somebody with an emphasis on wild game cooking. Sure. So he's going to do a wild game cooking demo for us on Saturday. And uh, I think that should be pretty cool, too. And he's just going to be around all weekend answering questions and, and doing cool stuff. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. So that's our that's kind of our special guest lineup for, uh, you know, people that might be interested to see some stuff when we're there. And uh, like I said, we're doing a stud dog review. So we'll have um, Drought Hars there. Our director of... Um, of testing um, is doing a, our director of judge development um, is coming from Colorado. He's giving a continuing education course for all of our um, current performance judges, and he's going to be doing some outdoor um, demonstrations with dogs there. So um, that's pretty cool. Uh, we're trying to get um, Michigan out of doors, Jimmy Gretzinger oh, yeah. to, uh, to come. Um, he's, he's featured uh, one of our, um, kind of bigger active members here in Michigan, Drought Hard Breeder. He's featured him on a, um, a goose hunting episode for okay. Michigan Out of Doors. So we're trying to get Jimmy out to, uh, to have, to have him show up too. 
watched a few of those episodes on YouTube. That's a good show. <laughs> what a great resource. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of just like a public broadcasting show that started out here. It's kind of growing into its own thing. And it's, it's an institution now yeah. um, in Michigan. And so I literally like turned on PBS when I we first moved out here in the apartment. And I was like, oh, Michigan Outdoors, <laughs> what a cool show. And then it was just like instructional, like how to go catch trout, how to how to fish steelhead. And so, yeah. you know, that, that got me into this world real quick. That's funny. I, I know like those kinds of shows are we've got due north outdoors here in minnesota and then there's michigan outdoors wisconsin's got it's it's a it's a cultural thing i think here in the upper wood midwest and probably much wider than that but certainly uh i've got a fondness for shows like that as well <laughs> um well man that again it sounds like fun if i didn't have such a busy uh, travel schedule in may i would be i'd be interested in sneaking over there and, and spending some time with you guys but uh, we've got uh, we've got a couple of upland gun company events going on and some stuff at piner's grouse camp that's going to keep me busy and i'm gonna well hopefully i'll be done turkey hunting by then but it sounds like a great event you guys are putting on i'm excited about it oh thanks i really appreciate you uh giving us a platform to get the word out there yeah yeah, uh, and I hope to get out to Pine Ridge Grass Camp when I, I heard the podcast and uh, <laughs> been very tempted and interested to get out get out there. Yeah. Um, we hunted I uh, hunted six states last year. Oh, good for um, you! Bought seven different state seven different hunting licenses, but uh, you know we keep driving through Wisconsin and Minnesota on our way to <laughs> North Dakota. Um, that's that's where our our puppy's from. He's from a kennel out in North Dakota. We go there every year, yeah. and so I'm like, boy. I you know, Pine Ridge is kind of on the way. <laughs> yeah, you so probably drive right by me when you're coming through. Yep, yep, we're not too far, so, um, yeah. Well, you do have a website. Is this, I know you had given me a kind of a sneak peek at it, but is it, it's available for anybody to go to now? Yeah, absolutely. Um, we're trying to get the word out as much as possible. Um, you know, thanks to my wife, we've done some a pretty good marketing, I think. So it's uh, <laughs> dropfest.com. Uh, it's also dropfest on uh, Instagram. Okay. And uh, uh, she opened up a Facebook page too. So yeah, definitely go to dropfest.com for kind of all the details I talked about. And, you know, May 27th, 28th. Yep. Um, yep. And uh, I'm available if anybody has any questions about anything. Cool. I will definitely link all that stuff up in the show notes. Uh, what's... Oh. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. <laughs> I had one more. Um, do you mind if we mention the um, Upland gun no, raffle tie? No, I would probably be. I got to give you an update on that. Yeah, yeah. J- Jerry would probably be all over me if we didn't cover that. So yeah, let's talk about it. Folks could win a an Upland gun company gun. Well, okay. So here's here's the latest. <laughs> okay. Um, you were very, uh, you know, cause you uh, having a tie in with Upland Gun Company. It was actually Dell Whitman who said, "Hey, you should you should call up." Nick, you know, we were looking for a gun yep. to raffle off in order to um, make money to offset our cost for Drop Fest. And so, you know, we were looking at all the kind of typical stuff, um, you know, that you might find at like a, a pheasant, uh, fe- you know, fest type gun. Yes. Um, yeah. But uh, Dell said, hey, you should you should talk to Nick with Upland Gun Company because it's, it's a little bit more unique of a gun and kind of, uh, you know, in the vein of bird hunting like yeah. that. So, yeah, you were nice enough to... Um, allow us to purchase a gun from Upland Gun Company to raffle off. But the twist on our raffle was that um, not only, you know, if you if you won the gun, you could take that, um, you know, the RFM side-by-side yep. that you gave us home, or you could take the equivalent in credit towards a custom build Correct. at Upland Gun Company. And um, I so I, I guess we kind of underestimated how popular this was going to be. 
because we put those tickets out for sale and they went like this. I mean, they were sold out in days. Are you kidding me? No, they're completely sold out. Man. Wow. Yeah. Now we did limit it to, to only 200 tickets okay. because, yeah. you know, we were doing, you know, they're $50 tickets a piece. We wanted it to be kind of enticing for people. Yeah. And it ended up being only, um, I think 67 people bought all those 200 tickets within wow. a few days. Yeah. So, um, any organization out there that wants to do a, um, a raffle similar to this, I think that was a, uh, that was kind of a cool uh, offer to the winner is you can take this, uh, you, you guys, uh, offered us a 20 gauge Zeus side by side, yep. a absolutely beautiful gun. And, um, we'll see what the winner wants to do. Yeah. They very well might just take that gun home that night, or maybe they're a left-handed shooter, or maybe they don't like double triggers. Maybe they, they, you know, um, you know, don't like an English stock or want a longer barrel or a coin finish or the list yeah, goes I on. So much. Yeah. I know. So most of the guys I talked to said, I'm, I'm taking the custom build. <laughs> just right. So um, it'll be interesting to see what happens with the winner. We're going to draw the, the winner at, at the banquet dinner and drop fest. Yeah. Cool. That is, man, that is awesome feedback. I did not, I did not know that. We'll have to, uh, I'll have to chat, chat with you about that. But yeah, that's one of the neat things that, again, with our, what we do at Upland Gun Company, made to order. We don't have an inventory. Some of those things that we can, offer to a, a group like this in order to help you guys out and also do something really cool for the winner and the customers man I, i'm super excited about that so. it, it was a win-win situation yeah. yeah it was really cool love it what's on your list we're gonna wrap this up but any special hunts or something that you're you're doing fall of 2022 what do you what do you got looking ahead i'm, I'm trying to repeat last year okay. we had an awesome hunting season um last year so we're definitely going back to North Dakota. Okay. Um, that's almost always our first hunt of the season. We do early sharp tails out in North Dakota. And my father and his friends have been going out there 20 years now. Okay. Probably been tagging along for 10. So cool. that's kind of like a given. Um, my wife likes to stop in Bismarck and run the marathon when we're on our way out there. Naturally. <laughs> so, um, so it's actually kind of worked out perfect. She goes and runs her race and then she goes uh, hunting with us. And that's kind of like our family trip. And, that's super and cool. my, my mom came along last year and, um, you know, we went and visited the kennel. We got the dog from, so got a lot of North Dakota tides. So we always do that. And then, uh, once we get back when we're hardcore into grouse and woodcock hunting here in Michigan, um, I'll also sneak down to Indiana. There's still wild pheasants there. So definitely doing that for like, you know, late September, October. And then we, um, I went to a, uh, bird camp in uh, Maine last year wow. that one of my father's friends told us about. And it was, it was a really cool experience. So, um, it's kind of in the middle of nowhere. It's a lot of hardcore bird hunters. You basically get your breakfast at, at 6 a.m. every morning and they do dinner at 6 p.m. and, the rest is just public logging roads and just go out there and find yourself some grouse Super um, cool. for a week. Yeah. So we're, we're doing that again. Um, and I was amazed at how remote, like I was in Maine. Like we've been in some pretty remote places in North Dakota and Montana, but I was like, wow, make sure you have a full tank of gas because you have no self service and you're yeah. far away from Stella. You can get lost in those wood roads up there. I mean, you're basically all the, all the radio stations were like in French. I mean, you were almost in Canada. Wow. So we're doing Maine. And then um, 
I, my, my big trip every year is Kansas okay. with a, a local, a local buddy here. So that's kind of our big trip because we can do waterfowl and, um, pheasant and quail hunting down there and even prairie chickens we can get on. And so that'll be the, my third year in Kansas. And I, I will probably always go back to Kansas. So we do that in November. Awesome, man. Well, you're getting after it, man. You're getting me excited. <laughs> <laughs> Good. Cool. Yeah. I'm looking forward to it. And now I got more dog power this year. And yeah. that was really the, the limiter last year. Is, you know, after hunting the dogs so many days in a row, even our, my young three-year-old, it was like obvious I needed more dogs. Yeah. <laughs> so um, Cash will be, gosh, he'll be 11, almost a year yeah, old be ready when, to go. Um, when we get into October there. And um, it's going to be just great experience for him. And then we start the next year, we start his testing system. So then he'll do the puppy test uh, spring of next year. And he should be like pretty, pretty good at his puppy test after having a full hunting season under his belt. Yeah. Awesome, man. Well, hey, I appreciate you taking the time to come on and chat with me and the listeners. It was cool learning a little bit more about your backstory. And I, I wish you guys all the success in the world with Drought Fest. It sounds like a really fun event. Hopefully, hopefully we send a few listeners your way. I think it'd be a good time, but really appreciate it. And we'll have to keep in touch, man. Absolutely. Thank you, Nick. All right. Take care. You too. Tuning in, everybody. That does it for this episode of the Birdshot Podcast. Quick reminder: we are presented by Onyx Hunt, Upland Institute, Yukonuba Sporting Dog, and Upland Gun Company. Rate, review, subscribe, like, and share. We'll catch you on the next episode of the Birdshot Podcast. Onyx Hunt is the number one hunting GPS app. Join millions of other hunters who trust Onyx Hunt to find more game, discover new access, and hunt smarter. Onyx Hunt shows you nationwide public and private land boundaries. They've got topographic and 3D maps. You can track your route, location, and elevation profile. You can save maps for offline use and take Onyx Hunt with you wherever you go. The most comprehensive hunting tool you'll own Download the Onyx Hunt app today and use the promo code BSP20 to save 20% on your next Onyx Hunt subscription. Know where you stand with Onyx. Hey everyone, this is Nick from the Gundog It Yourself podcast. If you enjoyed this show, then you might want to check out my show as well. We highlight and break down the ins and outs of training your own hunting dog. Whether it's a bird dog or even the occasional hound dog episode, we cover all topics related to hunting dogs. Check out Gundog It Yourself on any podcast streaming platform and hit the subscribe button to be sure not to miss any future episodes.